Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the EdTech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, EdTech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. everyone, and welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast where we bring guests to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. Our goal is to provide you with options for products, services, and knowledge that can help benefit you or your business. I'm Cher Downing, your host, and I want to introduce today's guest, David Wells. Hi, David. Hey, Cher. How's it going? Great. David is with David Wells Consulting, and I'm very excited to introduce him and his process to all of you because David explains himself as a custom database system development consulting practice with clients ranging across many sizes and industries. And what's exciting about this is, is that David is a remote worker and has been a remote worker far longer than the pandemic and the whole rush to be working from home. So I really am excited about this. David, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to where you're at. Okay. So I've been working on my own and the vast majority of it from anywhere I and my laptop were located for 32 years now. So way before the pandemic. Yeah. So I I got into independent consulting way back when after I uh, finished my MBA because the company that I did an internship with halfway through my MBA wanted to hire me, but didn't have headcount. And they said, well, we'd love to bring you on board, but we just don't have headcount. How do you feel about being a contractor? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? So thus the accidental entrepreneur was born. (laughs) I I didn't plan it, but it's worked out fabulously. And I love the flexibility. I've always worked anywhere I wanted to. You know, there have been times where I've had a client that brought me in to actually sit at a desk for like six months or whatever, but pretty short and very few, mostly remote and all database work. Just in my experience, every company has data and nobody's really all that good at managing it. (laughs) I can concur with that. And I think that's that's a really good space for starting in the remote process because database really was one of the first things that took off in IT. You know, now we live in the world of email and social media and all these things. But really, we started with hardcore coding and development and languages. And that's something that in some respects has changed a lot over the years. And in other respects has been a constant at the foundational base of it. So talk to us a little bit about what are what are some of the types of things that you do in that customization and, and how it's gone over the years? Mm-hmm. Well, it, I mean, back when I started in the late 80s, early 90s, it was a smaller scale. So you remember back then, I mean, I, I never did mainframe work. So I was never working with like the big iron. I didn't do any like DB2, which was a big database that IBM had way back, <laughs> way back when. 
And I never wrote in COBOL, so I was working on PCs. So I was doing lots of Lotus work, right? And just for the record, let me say that Lotus and Excel are not databases. You know, they're spreadsheets. (laughs) And they serve a very valuable purpose, and they can be used like a database. And I've actually spent a great deal of my career taking Excel spreadsheets that start small and then people add to them and add tabs and links and then other spreadsheets that connect them. And before you know it, like you've got this small to medium sized company that is running everything on this series of Excel spreadsheets. And at one point they finally say, Oh wow, this is, we are way too reliant on this one spreadsheet. It's like, who has the golden copy? Don't change it. I'm editing it right now or whatever. Right. And then they say, okay, We really should formalize. This should be a database. It should be centralized and controlled and have secured access. And that's where I would step in. And for a long time I did, and I still do actually an enormous amount of, I used to do D-based, then Fox Pro, and then I switched to access and I still do a ton of access. That's crazy. Wow. I mean, other developers would probably mock me and legitimately so, but hey, (laughs) it works fine. It's fast to develop in. It can do way more than people think. And for a small to medium sized company, it's budgetarily smart. And so I do a lot of that, but it, you know, I mean, I've worked from everything from literally one or two person shops and I've got some fortune 500 clients, which I've been very fortunate to have just through connections and luck. Cause as a solopreneur, I would never have been able to knock on the door of these companies and get in, but you sure. know, people have left other companies and gotten hired there and said, huh, well, we've got this little need, this data that needs to be managed. And IT won't even talk to us unless it's a three-year project <laughs> with a $4 million budget because that's what they do, right? And they're like, but we have yeah. departmental budget. Why don't we just hire Dave to come in and build us our own little system? So I've been flying under the radar of IT, hiding from IT for decades. <laughs> well, as, as someone who used to work in IT, I can tell you that we always loved when a consultant got hired to work on those little offshore, we call them offshore projects. Yep. Uh, you know, okay. they weren't on the main island because they were time intensive and they often didn't have in the scale of day-to-day things, they didn't have a need as much as other things that were required of us. And so to be able to have somebody else take care of that and also have that connectivity for that particular group was really important. And I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, you've had connectivity as a solopreneur to get into these Fortune 500 companies, but also the fact that you have taken on many of these projects that probably somebody else wouldn't have. A company would have said, sorry, it's too small for us or we're not interested in it. Really goes back to the fact that you're a relationship person. You're really big about building a relationship. So talk to us about that. I Well, I love people. I love all my clients. I mean, I've been working with the same clients, some of them literally all 32 years still, you know, some of them. And what really brings me joy in life is making people happy and making their lives easier and more smooth. Now, I happen to do that personally by providing IT solutions. But I mean, it is so fulfilling to sit with somebody and say, oh, the beginning of the month. And don't even talk to me about the beginning of the quarter or the end of the year. I spend weeks or, and, and in some cases, literally weeks or days generating XYZ, whatever, you know, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And I mean, this is a big plan I can think of right now. 
where they, at the beginning of every month, they have to send out PDF documents that cross correlate between so many different variables about what goes to whom and what's on each one. It turns out it's like, it's almost 300 PDFs. And they were having to build them all individually. It took them, it took them a week and a half at the beginning of every month. And now they push one button and it generates all the PDFs for them faster and with fewer errors because it's not manual and emails them out to the right people and does everything for or faxes it if they prefer fax. I mean, I don't know why anybody's faxes, (laughs) but I can tell you, some people still do. And and they're like, oh, that's so wonderful. I just have, you've just saved. First of all, it was onerous and like just awful work that nobody wants to do. Error prone and time consuming. And and that makes them happy. And that makes me happy. No, I think that that is a really good example. I think when you're a solopreneur, an entrepreneur, even in a small business, your lifeline depends on your clients. And it's not just about, obviously, it's a return on investment and getting your dollars, but it's also a value added. I mean, we do these things because we contribute a skill set out there that maybe somebody doesn't have access to normally, or maybe we have a niche, but you can always find someone. The trick is finding someone that you can work with that understands and appreciates what are your pain points. Even you go in and in your mind, you're thinking, this isn't that bad. I can get this cleaned up pretty quickly. But to them, this is just an insurmountable issue. Yes. And so the relationship building and the fact that they can feel a comfort level to say to you, you may think this is dumb, but here is this problem I have. Right. It's it's amazing. And I am kind of a weird hybrid in that I am highly extroverted and enjoy people. And I am also a techie. And so the ability to bridge bridge that gap and talk to humans who just want to talk to a human (laughs) and then either work with techs, you know, or do it myself or whatever. Sometimes I work with teams or outsource part of it or whatever, but I can communicate with both sides. I think that's been what's more, more than anything else has helped me stay in business solo for so, so long is because I can generate sales and relationships and networks and lots of, I mean, there are, there are techies that are smarter than me or better than me. I mean, not too much. I'm not too bad at what I do, but I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're, they may be better, but they're just terrible at networking. They just aren't. And which is fine. It takes all kinds of people to run the world. And I get that, but they just can't be an entrepreneur. They need to work on an IT shop because they need somebody else to have a say, have a sales force to go out and bring in business. Right. They'll just do what they're told. Whereas I, I, I do both sides of it and I love it. And I think that's a really important point for our listeners, because even, you know, working in an IT shop, you still have a client. You know, if you're working in a school, if you're working in a college, if you're working in a business, you still have a client, even if it's an internal client and having that ability to have that social connection is so important. And so that's one of the things that, you know, I hope people take from this today is you can be both sides. And you and I've had this conversation before because you and I are a lot alike in that sense. You know, we're happy being a nerd behind the scenes, but we're also happy being out in front and talking to people. And that I think brings about a lot more opportunities than if you're just on one side or on the other. Mm -hmm. So that's where you, you you practice your networking. That's where you gain those skills. How do you keep those going when you've been working solo for so long? With the existing relationships or generating new ones? Both. Well, you know what? 
Uh, the new ones for me have just happened kind of organically. I've never advertised. I used to go to networking events sometimes. Never found those particularly useful. They just aren't a good source. So for me, it, most of my clients have actually been word of mouth. It's been referrals, which I view as probably the best solution because that way you're working with a client that you know you fit with. You know, you have a good relationship with them. You understand right. them, the kind of people they are and they trust you and like you. So they're comfortable passing you on. They're probably, I just think good people know good people and good people should connect each other. I'm all about connecting the dots. I'm always trying to say, oh, you should meet this person because, oh, you need an accountant. My accountant's the bomb. You've got to call my accountant and all that kind of stuff. And that's what my clients have done for me and what I do in return for them. That's how I've mostly built new relationships and new business, new clients. I do have uh, companies or networking specialist companies where their clients mm -hmm. will come to them and say, oh, well, that's great. Now you've got us all set up with a brand new network and new servers and new PCs and we're, we're good to go. Now we need some software to run on it to do what we need to do. And this company, I've got a couple of them will say, well, we don't do that, but we know a guy. Yeah. And so then they'll, <laughs> and so it, essentially it's a win-win. I get a new client. They, it makes them look like they have a wider range of services to offer because they can offer end-to-end -end stuff that they don't actually internally staff for. That makes perfect sense. But I think that's, you know, that's an important point. And I think sometimes when we work remotely, we forget about that. We know we're sitting here. They know we're sitting here. So there should be a natural connection, right? There still has to be some work of making sure that you're talking, making sure that you're checking in, because some clients will just check in with you all the time, you know, and that's an easy conversation. But there are others that will just sit there and, you know, you think, wow, are, are, is everything okay? Do they need something, you know? And so it's putting in that extra effort that also makes them feel there's been an attentiveness. And that's where they give a referral because they're like, wow, you know, th this person checks in with me, you know, really wants to make sure I'm successful, things are going well. All of those things combined really are what, what brings people to you. And that's, that's something that I think we've learned a little bit in the last year over being remote, but I'm not sure everyone got the full lesson, which is it's continuous work, just like walking down the hall to talk to someone else in another office to keep that relationship going. You have to do it remotely. There are clients I've been working with, like I said, for you know several decades and they'll ebb and flow. You know, there are times when they have more active development going on. And then they'll we'll finish what we're working on or whatever was needed to extend the, the existing functionality. And then they'll, they'll, you know, they never go dark because I'm usually supporting the production system. So once in a while, I'm checking in, fixing a bug, handling whatever, but it'll be pretty calm. And then a couple of years later, they're like, okay, business has grown. We landed a new client or a new situation. We need the functionality added and they kind of ramp back up because they need some more work done. So then we re-engage and it, it's kind of ebb and flow. I, I kind of feel like I've been, you know, I, I know what I'm doing and what's going to keep me busy and not living under a bridge for the, about the next <laughs> six to nine months. And then there's a cliff of nothing, right? And I've been, <laughs> I've been like running towards that cliff for 30 years. I've, and I have actually fallen off the cliff just a couple times in 30 years where I actually had nothing to do. Like at the moment, I actually don't have any billable work to do, which is a little bit panicky. I had to get used to the fact that that happens really rarely, but it does happen. Sure. But it didn't last more than a month. And then somebody 
woke up and said, oh, we need some more. I'm like, great, thank you. Good. Because <laughs> we're going to get a little worried here. You know, but meanwhile, I reached out to you. Know, when that happened, I reached out to my clients. So how are things going? Do you have any new needs? I mean, like trying to, you know, you know, gently, you know, prod them say, you know, I'm kind of sitting here available. Is there any work you need done now? Now would be a good time. You know? <laughs> Well, and that's a great thing to do also because, and I'm guilty of this, you know, I'll think of something I want done and it kind of sits in the back of my head and it's, it's not a priority. It's not a, you know, I don't need it today kind of thing, but it's like pretty soon going to want to do X. And if someone reaches out to me and says, Hey, you know, I've got some downtime. I'm available. I'm like, Oh yeah, well here, you might as well just do this now. So I think it's, it's a helpful reminder to people as well as even if I don't need you then I still remember the touch point. I still remember that you reached out. And that's that's one of the key things, I think, as people are working in ed tech and as we come, become more and more inundated with the technology side, we've got to remember the human side of it. But I recognize that for the vast majority of people, the last year and a quarter has been like such a seismic change for them. They're like, I can't not see people. Well, you can see people through Zoom. <laughs> You know, but it's not the same as being in the same it's room. Not the same. And and they're like, I, I just don't know how to navigate doing this. And you know, people didn't think they could, and then they realized, oh, actually, I can. I mean, no, there are plenty of people who want to be in the office because they prefer. I actually prefer, even being an extrovert, I actually prefer to work at home. I like the flexibility. I'm a night owl, I sleep late, I work late, I live my life on my own schedule. I'm incredibly well spoiled or blessed or both. But I mean, I live my life the way I want to and it's been just fabulous, you know, but some people don't mind. They want to get up in the morning, put on pants, go to an office, have water cooler time. They want to interact with people and still get their work done. And it's such a change for them to go home and stay home for a year and have to like figure out how to maintain their social connections and get their work done remotely. And that's, that's hard. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting because I think we've seen kind of two different crops of people. The people that had a home office or a space dedicated transitioned fairly easily. Maybe it wasn't their favorite thing to do, but the people who have a house that they just don't have a space, it, it was a real struggle because, you know, and I've been on calls where the cat walks by and the dog is sparking and the kids are, you know, peeking in and stuff. And so to them, that atmosphere is something they don't want to be in. And so going to work gets them away from all of that. Right. For you and I, it's like, this is fabulous. Wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, and you know my history, you know, going from being in an office all the time to being remote, a lot of people said to me, oh, you're going to hate it. Oh, it's going to be so difficult. And I'm like, nope, happy as a clam. <laughs> <laughs> no looking back for me. Thank you. <laughs> But I'm busy all day. I have lots of work. I have clients. I have calls. I have things to do. And so I think getting that balance and and replicating that work that you used to have in an office at home, which is some variables, also starts to give you a, a sense of purpose working from home. And I think it took a long time for people to get that this last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, once you've settled into it, gotten the pattern gotten used to the fact that no one's going to blame you if your three-year-old walks into the frame you know it's like <laughs> we're all dealing with it you know it's like if your cat I mean it's just it's fine it's just the way the world is right now we can you know it's life 
those who have worked home for a long time and like you said, have their own space, close the office door, aren't going to be interrupted or whatever, different story. But I mean, yeah. you know, once they got once people settled in, I think productivity has gone up. It depends on how much you want to work or don't want to work or, or, or whatever your situation is, but your commute time now becomes potentially productive time. Because I mean, you can roll out of bed at, in my case, 8.59, but I'm sure for other people, 6.59 or whatever, and be on a call at seven or nine. I mean, because yep. no one knows what you look like. I, I actually personally, I mean, we're Zooming now and it's nice to see you and talk to you while we're engaged, but I really very almost never do video with my clients. Because we're usually screen sharing, we're working on software. So I'm, I'm looking at, you know, so we're talking, but I'm, I'm usually not seeing them. Sure. But you still, you've got that time, you've got that uh, product, extra productivity. Or alternatively, depending on your situation, the commute time becomes, it comes back to your life. And some people commute an hour each day. That's two hours more in your day. Well, you living in D.C., I mean, you recognize firsthand the amount of time people give to commuting. I mean, it's it's crazy. They're losing 10 to 15 hours a week that all of a sudden they gained back. And that's a lot of time in your life to spend with your loved ones, with your family, under normal circumstances, going out and doing things with people, obviously not the last year, but right. normally. It's a huge difference. And I think it's also a time to gain and to learn what other things you can do, you know, what other skill sets you maybe want to brush up on or, or what are new things that you'd like to offer to clients, even if you're working for somebody, you know, everyone works and everyone spends most of their time just maintaining. And so that opportunity to say, hey, I've got some extra time, you know, I can take a class, I can, you know, do a workshop, I can sit through so many conferences were online this past year that are normally so expensive and you can't afford to travel and go to them. And all of a sudden the whole world opened up for, you know, I joke, it, it opened up for like $99. I swear everything was $99 last year, but you can attend things that you've never had access to before. It's fabulous. My partner runs conferences as part of his job and he had to virtualize everything, which I can tell you as a conference planner was really, really hard. It was very difficult. But if, when it was done well, people who would come from, would attend from overseas, they would never have made the trip to the U.S. for this conference. But now, if you're willing to get up and deal with the time zone difference, you can live in Hong Kong and attend a conference in New York or whatever. So the best thing I had happened last year was I did a presentation. And because you said Hong Kong, I had someone in Hong Kong that attended. And literally, in the little Zoom box, she's in her bathrobe, like you can see the fuzzy bathrobe. Yeah, because she got up. I wanted to sit through your session. So I set my alarm. Yeah, she's, you know, she's wanted to come to the conference for years. It was personal expense, her work wouldn't pay for it. So she's like, I can pay the conference fee. And yeah. attend online, I would have never spent personal funds to fly all the way over, you know, stay for the no, week and all weird. of that. So, That's you know, great. it's, it's, you an, got up at three in the morning to sit in. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, it was quite humorous. So how have your clients done with all this? Like in terms of shifting to, obviously they're used to working with you remotely, right? but their whole world changed at the same time. So, I mean, when, when the pandemic started and people got sent home, what, around March 10th or 11th last year, something mm -hmm. like that, I had, and still have, I don't know, 
eight or 10 production systems running. And all of a sudden, all these clients were calling me and saying, okay, all of our employees are now working remotely. So we're going to have to, we have to move the system from this server to this server. They need to be able to, you know, get into it via remote connection, secure VPN. So I had to work in conjunction with a bunch of their, their outsourced networking companies to make sure that the connectivity was there. And they were said, and then sure. I was like, now you need to configure and, or reset how things work so that everybody can do what they need to do remotely. So I was actually, I didn't slow down in March. It picked up because I had on top of ongoing work that was already, I was working on building functionality as per usual. All of a sudden I also had to retrofit existing systems. It was, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was challenging and it was interesting and it was fun. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Everything worked out well. You know, now some of those clients are beginning to go back in, but some still haven't. They're still they're still working remotely and trying to figure out what their companies are going to require or make optional mm -hmm. or hybrid. I, you know, we just don't know. But it was a big, big shift, and it took some doing to move all those systems to be accessible via a different style. And I think it's going to be interesting. A lot of places, as you know, didn't have remote access for security or, or perceived security. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be in the office to work. And now that they're toying with the idea of shifting culture, how they work, working remotely, all of those things, then the question becomes, do we keep tracking by person? You know, these three people can access remotely and these three people can't. Or do we just say, let's have a system in place where they can do that with, you know, relatively consistent protocols for password changes and things like that. I'm starting to see where they're thinking, you know, across the board is better and let's not, let's not spend all of our time being individual selective on this. What are you seeing in that? At least for my, for my basket of clients, it's really, it's still a very, it's a wide mix. I've got one client where everybody, everybody's back in the office and they're required to all be back in the office which I can tell you they're not happy about, or at least the employees aren't, you know, mm -hmm. and I've got some that are splitting time, you know, and I've got some where everybody are, is still at home. So it's a, it's a wide mix, but I, I think having made the step to make everything necessary for them to work remotely from home for a year plus, they're leaving that infrastructure for sure. But this kind of thing can happen again. And now they're set up to handle it. Right. Or there could be any other kind of circumstance where suddenly they need to have everybody be remote for some period of time. So they're leaving the infrastructure in place. And so even the people who are going into the office are using the system kind of technically as though they weren't actually sitting in the office. Yeah. In place. So, so I think it's going to shift over time and I don't know how it's going to settle because I think it's going to be, it's going to be a fight between employees who don't want to go back and are being forced to and companies that want to force people to come back fighting client employees who don't want to. And so it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to find an equilibrium and I don't know where that will settle. Well, and you and I were talking about this and I think it's so important in the ed tech space because we're unique animals in the fact that we have the ability to teach and train others, but we have the tech background. So there's a talent there that you lose when you give an ultimatum oftentimes. 
we used to see it years ago when transfers would come around. You know, a company would say to you, David, you know, starting next week, we want you in San Francisco full time. And you're you're going, uh, okay, I don't want to move to San Francisco, or maybe I have small children and you know, I don't want to pull them out of school. And there it was a well, you do it or you lose your job. And there used to be a time where you said, Well, go on to San Francisco, okay. Yeah. And now people are going you know, I think I could find something else. I think this company across the street is allowing their employees to work remotely. I think I'm going to go over there. And so I'm starting to see lots of trends of that. And I'm also starting to get lots of people asking about, so what's it like to work remotely? What's it like to run your own business? I think that the gift that no one thought about from the hideousness of of the pandemic was the value of time and the value of family and of going back to simpler things, eating dinner together, watching the kids grow up, taking a nap and working later in the day and all the things that you and I enjoy, yep. everyone else suddenly became aware of. Yep. I think it's, it's you know, it's fascinating to see where everybody's going to end up in that respect. Yep. Well, especially as, as Americans, our culture is so work driven. And now that we're all connected, we all carry our phones. There's just, there's no downtime, which as a hopeless workaholic, I'm fine. I, you know, I've always been that way. <laughs> but I mean, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and, you know, whatever, a lot of the comments people will wrap up, you know, the interviews will um, say, so what have you learned? One of the questions is, what have you learned you can't live without? And what have you learned that you now have that you didn't realize? And one of the things people have said most often is, I've learned that I can slow down. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think of everything as a rush that has to happen right now. You know, it's like, it can wait an hour. It might even be able to wait till tomorrow. And it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's healthy. We're, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm definitely not calling the cut of black here because I work way too much. I always tell my clients, <laughs> I don't respond to you in like literally 15 to 20 minutes. I'm either asleep or dead <laughs> because I always respond. I mean, I, it's, it, yeah. it's and my clients and if I'm not taking care of them, then either no one is or they'll go to somebody else, which is fine. I like that. But other people, yeah. it's like, just learn to let it, let it ride for 24 hours. You know, you get you get an email at five. Okay, well, fine. Let it sit in your inbox. Spend the time with your kids. You don't have to fight traffic for an hour, stressing about that email that's waiting for you. Then get home and hop right online to answer it. Like, have your time. Do it in the morning. It's different. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think it's about expectations. Your clients know when you're available, you're clear to them about it. And so that's that's what they expect. And, and they know that's what's going to follow through. I think one of the things that we learned this last year also was that people would email things and they'd get used to in the office, you know, get a rapid response or be very, very concerned about it. And this last year, because they were balancing many things at the same time, time took a little longer, but no harm, no foul, so to speak. You know, it, it was fine. There used to be a day where we checked our email like twice a day because we had to dial in and it took so long to connect to the, <laughs> to the server. Right. Um, people knew, oh, well, it'll be tomorrow before they answer because it's five o'clock. And then we got into this rapid expanse of everything that's instantaneous. But it also causes us not to think things through. You know, we give a rapid answer. Yeah. Now we're thinking things through again. Like take time, 
maybe write it, put it in your draft, send it tomorrow, whatever. You know, I mean, at, at the moment, I'm doing this interview with, with you from California because I'm, yeah. I've been here for almost a month. I'm, I'm going back on Friday. So I'm actually two to three hours behind most of my clients. So by the time I get yeah. up, it's coming up towards noon for them. Yeah. But, but I made sure they knew that. And I sleep with my sound off on my phone because, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm asleep, I'm not available. I mean, I'm available, but I'll, I'll get it in the morning. But I'll tell my clients, like, if there's something urgent going on, or if we take a system live, I will sleep with the sound on so that if you get up in the morning and there's a problem and I'm still asleep, I will hear you and I'll get up and I'll take care of it. Right. But you have to adjust that kind of thing. And my partner was out here for part of part of the time. And he made a real point of telling his assistant, look, I'm working until six or seven in California. So that's 10 o'clock for you. So I just want you to know, if you if your email starts piling up at 10, that's because I'm finishing up my day. I do not expect you to respond to my emails at 10. Yep. You get up in the morning on your schedule and respond to them. And then I'll get up and you, it'll seem like I'm ignoring you because I'm still asleep. But when I get up, then I will get to your emails. But anyway, setting expectations of don't panic because your inbox is suddenly dinging and full, full, full late at night. It's definitely different living the what I call the remote lifestyle. Yeah. And as long as everyone's aware of what you do and how you do it, I think, you know, it's it's absolutely, it also makes it so much better because I know this happens with my clients. They know. And so they, they oftentimes will organize their thought process because they know what I'm going to see first and what they want me to see first thing in the morning. So uh, if they're on the East Coast or they're overseas, they will send things in priority. And Uh, I think that's great, you know, because we get through the things that they want to get through by the time they go home and then they go home and I'm still working. So I'll work on the other things that are on their list. Yeah, that weren't like, okay, do whatever you need to do, but please do this thing first. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a difference. So tell me, as you keep going forward, and you're a wonderful role model for for listeners out there who are thinking of, you know, maybe I can do something remotely. And and obviously, I can travel, I can still service a clientele, I don't need to live in one particular city or area. Where do you see the database world and and the technology going as we get into the, you know, what we call the industrial revolution four that's coming or maybe already here? (laughs) Well, I mean, the, the top line answer is like, welcome to the cloud, right? So I'm spending this entire calendar year working on two major projects, taking systems that are currently localized, meaning running on a local server with clients doing their work right there and moving them to web-based cloud solutions, which makes infrastructure easier, makes pushes maintenance off to Amazon or Google or Microsoft or whoever you're cloud hosting with. It's like, you don't have to worry about expenditure, uh, security, where you have to worry about security, obviously you have to take care of it, but it's somebody else's job to handle most of it, which is great. And it's like, it makes everything more available because as long as you and your, you, meaning the solopreneur and or your clients can reach the cloud, you can be anywhere you want. And so, you know, definitely there are lots and lots of positions that have previously needed to be or felt to be needed to be in the office. And these people now have choices. They can say, well, I can reach the cloud from the office, but I can also reach the cloud from home or Singapore or London, wherever it is you want to be. 
And so people have far, far more options. But again, it's going to be, I mean, that, that capability, that flexibility, that option to consider being free, which is great for some of us, partly is a personality thing. Do you want to do that? Or do you really want to be an right. option? And you have, and also, you know, it, yeah. So it's a mix of technological situation and personality type. I think that's valuable. It's like, you know, well, now you can think about it and maybe do something about it. And it's important to know yourself, know, know your habits, know your traits. Don't lie to yourself. You know, don't lie to yourself and say, oh, if I was home every day, I'd be working from sunup to sundown. And then you spend the whole day watching Netflix. You know, right. if you know you're the person that spends every weekend watching Netflix and getting nothing else done, that's probably going to carry over to your week. So you have to recognize your traits. How are you going to make this work? I have a client who is working for someone watching actual movies. One of the things he loves to do is lay around and watch movies. And he talk, he jokes about the fact that one day you will find him on the couch, you know, his chalk outline, because he doesn't get any exercise. He's always <laughs> watching movies. But he got hired by a company to watch their movies and critique them before they go live. Yeah. So he's like, so I have a client and I'm still laying on the couch and I'm watching movies. This is a really good thing. You know, who would have thought? But he knows himself. He knows what he likes to do. And so he's figured out a way to make it work. Yeah. I mean, if you can find a way to make a living doing what you love, then you are a very, very blessed person. It's wonderful. You know, and that obviously that's not the case for a lot of people. And that, you know, that's unfortunate. But for those who can, it's like, Find your passion and find a way to do that to fulfill yourself and others. And that's really a sweet spot in life if you can find it. Absolutely. So, David, this has been wonderful talking with you today. And I hope that our listeners really start to see the value and the benefits of being able to figure out a career and mix people and technology and work remotely if they want or do a combination of things that really kind of brings them joy and happiness. You also mentioned that you're offering a 30-minute assessment to any of our listeners if they're interested. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I'm happy to do that. And I look forward to speaking to anybody who's interested. A lot of times, the discussion with a potential client or somebody who thinks they might have a need is just kind of listening to them talk about what is your what is your business? What is your process? What do you what do you do? What are the steps you go through to get things done? And listen between the lines, you know, because you need to hear not only what they're actually saying, but what they're not saying, or what you know. And then then it's like pulling threads. Like, okay, well, I hear you saying this, and then you need to do this. But have you thought about other ways of transitioning from here to there that might make it more smooth or more less manual, less onerous, whatever. And a lot of times like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in a, you know, in, in a half hour initial consultation, I would just listen mostly, hopefully ask some relatively relevant questions to help them understand what do you have and what do you wish you had, right? Sure. Or what do you not have at all? I mean, sometimes I build systems from scratch, actually a lot of times, but I, I do a lot more revamping of an existing process than just, has gone beyond its lifespan and they just haven't realized it or been had the budget or been ready to take the plunge. And when it's time, you need somebody who can hear you and listen and care 
and offer relevant options. Absolutely. And we're all guilty of it. You know, you use something because it works and you just keep using with it. But every time you use it, you grumble because you think, God, there's got to be a better way to do this. But I don't have time to figure it out. So I'll just use it. So, you know, having having what I term fresh eyes coming in and looking and hearing about the process and figuring out is fabulous. So we so appreciate that. And hopefully, you know, maybe some of our listeners will take you up on that. It's been great talking with you today. Thank you so much for being on this. It was a pleasure. Um, Thank you. So for everyone out there listening, if you want to reach out and get in touch with David, please make sure to check our podcast pages or it's david.wells at wellsconsultingllc.com. I want to thank you all for joining us here today. And to all of you, I hope that you get something out of this and this particular issue regarding technology and people and working remotely. We hope that you can make use of this information. We look forward to joining us again. As always, you can reach out to us at www.downingedtech.com. You can also listen to our podcast on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Audible, and iHeartRadio. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well. We look forward to having you join us again next time. Thanks, everyone. And until then, keep learning. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist Cher Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast. Thank you.